Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the session zero of Duckies and Dargons. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an absolute pleasure to bring you the first official episode of the brand new campaign hosted by myself, the Mayhem Vault 93. I am joined tonight by my wonderful cast of players, some seasoned, some new. So we have all ranges of experience, both as a DM, my first time DMing actual Dungeons and Dragons. And we have a brand new player and some players who have been playing for anywhere between 6 and 20 plus years. So, just to give you guys a little bit of a breakdown as to what you can expect for tonight's session. Uh, this is not an actual player, uh, player game session. This is just a conversational episode where I walk not only you guys, the listeners at home, but also my players into the world of Vardor, the world that I have created from scratch for this campaign. So I'm going to let my players introduce themselves to you all. Starting from the top, we have my, my DM. <laughs> it's so weird saying that, but Tony, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, well, as it's already been stated, my real IRL name is Tony, but most of my friends call me Slade. Uh, at, to give a more broader spectrum, Slade Zeno, you can find me on uh, Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Slade Zeno. Also, as he has already stated, I am the DM and creator of the Dirty 20 podcast, uh, where uh, the wonderful individual who is our dm for this campaign and this podcast uh mayhem plays as Rhaegar, the dragonborn barbarian and is one of the three banes of my existence uh so i plan on retaliating and uh giving all sorts of chaos and hell in any way that i see fit and uh 20 plus experience allows me to do that so i feel like that uh, this will be the the little fun moment that i've been waiting for and i am so looking forward to see how your character pans out throughout the course of what if my math is correct the next three years <laughs> moving on we have uh one of the most comedic members of my social and online social circles we have Rob, go ahead, my man. Your name is Rob. <laughs> Short and simplistic, my, like it. I I feel like you were, I, I feel like you were trying to do. My name is Jeff. Shut up! My voice didn't come out. My voice cracked. All right, shut up. <laughs> I am a complete Dungeons and Dragons virgin. Uh, well, so you're not. I'm you're expecting me to. Well, 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 well. You're not. Well, you're well, te well. technically, technically, you're not. You're you're like a noob. You're a noob. Point. You're not a virgin. You're a noob. Well, vir virgin is like zero experience. Noob is like one or two yeah. points of experience. So yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself and. Uh, We'll go from there. Uh, okay, when do I find my date at the end of it? When? 
Well, you, there, uh, what, you, what you guys weren't made aware of is that there's going to be three doors that you get to choose from, and uh, yeah. you know one of them leads to the pits of hell, one of them leads to paradise, and one of them just leads to your own look. Your listen, own bedroom. look. Just because I threw a demon door at you at the very beginning of the fucking first episode does not mean that you had to retaliate and throw a fucking door at me. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not throwing a door at you, so let's let you know. Do you have any idea how long he ranted at me about that fucking door? No, right? I didn't rant at the I door. Was, I he was trapped me. I was driving. <laughs> he trapped Let, me. Let's get back on track, shall we? I am so sorry for you having to put up with with mayhem like that. I am. I'm so sorry. Okay, uh, Rob, tell us a little bit about yourself. Why? <laughs> I, 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 this, this is why <laughs> he's like my name is sufficient <laughs> my name oh. is Rob I'm a comedian not my personal life is your fucking business so bugger off <laughs> I am uh, I'm beginning to regret the decision to have you on as a member of the cast but we'll, we'll, uh, well, we'll just... just kill me just kill me eh? I'm a noob I'd be useless I'd bring you down just kill me <laughs> No, do it. No, we will not. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. Do it. No. Do it. No. Do it. (laughs) Do it. No. (laughs) Do it. And last but all, I want to do is do it. (laughs) And last but not least, we have the only member of the Duckies and Dargons cast who can physically taunt me and psychologically taunt me at the same time. You guessed it right, ladies and gentlemen. It's the one that is laughing her ever-loving ass off. Oh, God. I think we broke her. I think we've broken her, guys. Yeah, he means... I think you found your new follower. Are you Are you good? <laughs> God. <laughs> oh. Do you need a minute? <laughs> oh, no, I've chosen the wrong time to drink coffee. Do you need a minute? <laughs> no. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're laughing along with us because if you are, then great. We've set the tone for what the next three years possibly could be like. God. <sighs> right. As I was saying, as I was saying, the only (laughs) member of the Duckies and Dargons cast who can physically and psychologically torment me on a regular basis, over to Unicorn. Well, that was your mistake. (laughs) I mean, you said yes. But you asked. You could... You know what? We are not going to put our personal lives out on the washing line like this, okay? Fight, 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 fight. It's fine. He can't win. (laughs) Excuse me? You can't win. While you guys are arguing about IRL bullshit, I've already read through half of this. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. So uh, just so that Tony can't met again here, can we fucking move on? I'm not even in the game yet, and I've already met a game. Unicorn? Yeah? Would you care to introduce Uh, yourself? 
I'm Unicorn, also known as Mrs. Mayhem. Okay. I'm glad you, you got go. that out of the way now because <laughs> yeah. last campaign. I did have a clue. <laughs> okay. Okay. For those of you just, uh, just familiarizing yourself with, uh, with this account and the podcast and uh, this campaign, this is not the first campaign that I have run. I cut my teeth in the TTRPG world, DMing a Destiny 2 themed tabletop role-playing system, uh, of which both Slade and Unicorn, accompanied by one of our other good friends, Hacksaw, were my cast. Um, that was the original content that was uploaded to this account on my YouTube account. And for the first, I want to say the first like eight or nine episodes of that campaign, Slade and Hacksaw, and Rob as a listener, had absolutely no idea that Unicorn was Mrs. Mayhem Vote. And how, how did Rob have no idea? Hey, what... hey, hey, I, 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 said, did, I said, did they manage to work out it was Mrs. Mayhem? I said that to you, and you're like, no, only, they didn't realize. Only after don't, I... don't go bringing me down in your polo drama. Only, Get your facts straight. Only... Yo. Oh. Only after, only after I revealed it to you as well, though. <laughs> no, no, I, I asked, was that Mrs. Mayhem? And you said yes. And it still took you about six episodes. I'm On my sure part, though, to I'll be fair, you, you didn't relay that information out. You just said that she was just a friend. And I was like, okay, cool. And then it wasn't until like halfway through the fucking season of the last campaign when you finally said, oh, this is Mrs. Mayhem Vote. We're like, well, fuck you too, guy. <laughs> okay, so. But we're in the middle of the lockdown. How would we, we weren't allowed to see each other's houses? Yeah, I know. And also, Tony lives on an entirely other continent. Road, does he? I do. <laughs> Maybe what? I, I, I've learned you things about you. Like this is like really, really uh, no, interesting. No, 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 like, no, oh my no, god! No, no. <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. You're not going to be getting half of the fucking painful references that I'm having to go through right now. So before <laughs> before my cast before my cast make me want to blow my fucking brains out. I, I think should we're doing a good job of that already. I think I need to put a session minus one, is it? I need to <laughs> I need to put a I need to put a content warning out and let you guys at least establish an expectation of what you guys are in store for if you continue to tune into future episodes. This is not a PG rated podcast, as you can probably already tell. Um Ah crap. Both myself <laughs> both myself <laughs> Rob and Slade Fuck, curse curse like a trooper. Unicorn tries to curse like a trooper, but she just turns out to be comical whenever she does. Oh so, dang nabbit oh, whippersnappers. You. <laughs> You've heard me swearing while driving. Yeah, it's quite the it's quite the feat to behold. So, like I said at the beginning, this uh this session is going to be a conversational episode where I bring you guys and my players through the game world I've created, my players have already been provided with a welcome document to read through along with me. We'll go through pretty much, we'll go through everything uh, that is in the document. But before we do, I need to put out a disclaimer because the draft of the document that my players have got access to 
there's been a couple of minor changes being made. Nothing major, like I haven't changed any roles of people that they might come into contact with. I haven't changed the political structure. Uh, I haven't changed uh, any of the, the continents or the countries or the regions that they're going to go into. It's just small little things like titles or aliases that certain people might have gone by is that I've sort of tweaked uh, to make it a little bit more continuity friendly to put a, to put a label on it so if i before you start if i may say so myself i get random bullshit maps off of fucking google and shit just to use to get you guys through our campaign mm -hmm. but this very first map that i pulled up on quite literally turned me on and <laughs> i well, need to know who made that map because I, will, I need them in my life. <laughs> I will. We will get to that map in just a few moments. So let's uh, let's dive into the document, shall we? So, adventurers, welcome to the official welcome document of the Vardorian Conflict, the first campaign under the newly formed Dungeons and Dragons podcast, Duckies and Dargons. You have been chosen to delve into this completely homebrewed world and explore its vast reaches, encounter its peoples, and lose yourself in mystery, intrigue, and chaos. Please take a moment to familiarize yourself with the details below as they will help you come to grasp with some of the more important details of the world before officially starting your adventure in two weeks' time. I am so fucking looking forward to it. So, to go into detail about the world, obviously, by now, we all know that the name of the world that's been created is Vardor. And I'll actually go into briefly detail why I chose that name. How many of you have seen all of the Underworld movies? Multiple have times. I? Raise his hand. Underworld Blood Wars. There is a scene where Kate Beckinsale's character travels to the icy fortress named... Vardor, and it was just the perfect oh, name. Yeah. It was the perfect name, just to snag. I've taken names from so many other like used settings and put them into this campaign. You guys, and I'm sure the listeners at home, if you listen to enough TTRPG campaigns and podcasts, you'll recognize names of places. But I'm not ripping off the entire concept of those places. I'm just using minor elements. So the world setting is Dark Ages. It's medieval. It's fantasy mixed in with that very chivalric knights and nobles and warriors. Um, it's actually medieval a age is going to up to what point? The most advanced technology you will come across is probably, I want to say, you'll maybe encounter one or two firearms that are in development, but there's no, like, cars or planes or steamships or trains or anything like that. Like trains. Yes, I know you like trains, Rob. I've never been on a train, actually. You've never been on a train. Wow, okay. I've never been on a train. Learning more about one of my players as we go along. So, Vardor is split into four continents. 
Zyuria is the main continent and it is the largest landmass in the world. It hosts most of the population. It is also the continent to which the Vardorian monarchy find themselves situated in. It is also the most diverse in terms of societal and religious and political variations. The, the continent of Zyuria, as we will many, many multiple times just refer to as Zyuri, is home to the more air quote modern uh, civilizations that make up a lot of the population. These are people who have built cities, have built towns and, you know, large villages, established vast trade connections and, uh, you know, trades and just what you'd expect from a medieval sort of setting. And in comparison to that, you've got the tribal plains. You've got the, the more traditional people that used to live by the gods and on the land. And if you think basically vikings scavengers foragers crafters very minimal technology so there's a very stark contrast just between those two elements on that one continent jorha is the southeastern continent that in the document i have actually described as similar in size to australia now the map that i produced for Jorha, which I put on the Duckies and Dargons uh, Twitter account. Yeah, actually, you can find all four of the maps on there. Um, it took me so long to find an image that I thought was to scale. Jorha is the economic epicenter of Vardor. It's got the biggest uh, port city in the in the the game world. Uh, there's a lot of the trade connections that originate in there. There's a lot of the natural resources that are mined and processed and shipped from Jorha to Zayuri. It is where you go if you're looking to make your money. If you are a merchant or a smuggler or you just you happen to work in the mines, that is where you would normally live. Up next, we have Venora. Venora is a small island continent to the west of Zayuri. And we'll get to Venora uh, in just a little bit because it is actually one of the more problematic continents. And last but not least, directly to the south, we have Arcada. It's a very snow-capped and icy wasteland. It's almost a very desolate, uh, desolate land, which the majority of which has not been inhabited and it has not been excavated. So there's a lot of room for potential to explore, find stuff that may not have been found before, as well as huh, huh, stumble across some pretty horrific dangers. Moving on to the capital cities for each of, well, actually it's not each of the continents because there's only three capitals. Up first, we have Amdale, the capital city of Zyuria. The capital city and the largest inhabited space in Zyuria, and by extension, is Amdale, home to the Vardorian monarchy, the royal military, and the main bulk of Zyuri's citizens. 
Amdale acts as the economic hub of that particular continent, as well as the military heart of the known world. Key points to note on this city are as follows. So for my players at home who have actually got access to this map, uh, you guys can see points one through four. Uh, but for the listeners at home, I'm going to try my best to describe uh, each of the points in relation to where they are. So point number one on the map of Amdale is Saturn's Defense. Saturn's Defense is the main gate to the city and acts as a three-layered walled entrance that leads to a large circular courtyard that is heavily occupied by royal military guards. This is where security checks are carried out on any and everyone that is attempted to enter the city. This is basically the go-to entry point for the city. You will, if you are trying to smuggle anything into the city, you have to be fucking good at what you do. Because every single cart and pretty much every single person that comes through those gates is searched. Moving on to the economic sector, which is the very core of Amdale itself and home to the main bulk of the trading activity, the trade sector houses many of Amdale's merchants, blacksmiths, alchemical resources, and food sales. Basically, every kind of merchant you can think of, you'll find in the economic sector. The economic sector also acts as the sort of like the joining point between the uh, residential sectors of Amdale and the trade sector. So it's very close to the main bulk. So for my viewers at home, the economic sector is that massive circular tier dead in the center of the map. And if you look directly to the north, just to the left of point number four, all of that is housing. So you can find a good chunk of Amdale's population in that northern sector. The eastern sector, no, sorry, the western sector. I'm falling into uh, Slade's territory there. Uh, the western sector, you'll find a lot of housing, but it's mainly... I don't, I don't want to say slums, because the slums of Amdale aren't actually within this map it's working class yeah yeah and then far over to the eastern just below point number four is a mix of the military sector and the the noble sector and down towards the south between points one and three is your agricultural sector so just bear that in mind in relation to where you guys want to go throughout your time in Amdale, I will tell you, you do not automatically start the campaign in there um, because I I need to work on some of the stuff for the city. And I know I said I had chapter one done, but I keep having ideas that just, they keep, they keep springing to mind. It's, I mean, I'm sure Slade can attest to this. You keep coming up with ideas and you want to find somewhere to put them in. And it's just, it's a pain in the ass. So every fucking day. Yep, every fucking day. <laughs> Point number three. The Temple of the Deliverer. 
The Temple of the Deliverer is home to the Grand Seer, the voice of the Deliverer and the main place of worship, uh, religious worship in Zyuria. This temple takes the form of a monumental tower marking itself as the highest visible peak in the capital. Constructed entirely of marble, that is a strange mix of purple and golden color and draped with golden banners depicting a golden sword that was said to be wielded by the Deliverer himself. Point number four on my player's map of Amdale is the Royal Palace. The home of the Vardorian monarchy and the most heavily guarded location in Amdale, and by extension, Vardor, you know, altogether. The royal palace of Vardor is guarded by a wall that stands 150 feet high and is 40 feet thick of solid rock. And the path to the royal palace is a single track road that has five individual gates that must be passed in order to gain access to the grand courtyard. Now, what I didn't write in the the document pertaining to the royal palace is that it's not just the the monarchy that lives here. There are under other individuals that work here. They have several barracks for the the crown's guard. Um, there's also a small number of extremely highly influential uh, individuals that live within the grounds of the palace as well. But you guys will get to know that as we progress through the campaign. Moving on to the next capital city, and we venture back to Venora. Welcome to Menzel Berenzan, the heart of Venora. Hold up, say that a fucking again. Menzel Berenzan. <laughs> say that chain ties faster. You can Men suck the left toe. Like, I'm not gonna lie, that that name alone i don't even have to look at the map to know <laughs> that that name alone makes this next map i'm about to look at way too complicated for my brain to okay function. okay okay <laughs> let's let, let me let me let me describe the, the venoran capital for you guys okay. located at the base of venora's northern mountain range the city of menzo baranzan commonly referred to as menzo is the home to the larger portion of the Venoran? The, the, no, sorry, the, lar the larger portion of the Venoran population. For the listeners at home, I'm going to put another personal disclaimer. Uh, I, this pertains directly to me. I tend to fumble over my words quite a lot, and it's something I'm trying to work on and, and trying to improve upon. So please just bear with me. It happens mainly when I get really hyped up and I'm really excited to, you know, tell a story or I'm trying to portray something. I so if I, I if I stumble like multiple times, please just bear with me. I want I want everyone to know that he puts that disclaimer out, but yet that when I stumble on my part, they make the absolute living fun fucking fun of me. Like when I said the wrong directions of north south. Hey, 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 to be fair, you were looking at a book and you still got it wrong. And it still said north-south. <laughs> the book said north-south. You didn't stutter. You were just wrongly informed, my good friend. So don't even... But did Tony read the book upside down? No, no he didn't. No, the book literally says north-south. Anyway. Menzo is a harsh locale. 
riddled with hazardous rock peaks where the air is thick with the smell of ash and soot just rolling off of the mountains above it. Enzo is trapped in a perpetual state of semi-darkness and very little light from the sun is actually able to seep through the clouds. And then we'll we'll uh, we'll get on we'll get we'll get more to uh, to Venora a little bit later on because uh, Venora's fun and I'm looking forward to you guys going there. Moving on to the uh, the capital of Jorha, we have Valorondir, the Grand Dock, as the main economic trading position of the highly industrial continent Jorha. Valorondir acts as the main hub for merchants coming and going carrying goods from Jorha to Zairi. It takes the form of a bustling city, home to predominantly working-class folks of all races and creeds. You can expect to find many an activity and an adventure to partake in in this vibrant and mysterious city. Points of significant interest here include number one being the First Manor. Home to the Lord of the City, the First Manor is a respectable-looking stone and thatch manor spanning three floors and encased within a large circular border wall. Point number two, Theatre of the Risen. One of the larger entertainment venues in the city and home to performances conducted mainly by more professional troops in Jorha, such as opera, plays, dances, and circuit-like acts, uh, circus-like acts. So the... The crowds that normally attend events in the theater of the risen, they are either the upper sectors of the working class or the lower to middle sectors of the middle class. Any events that warrant the attendance of people of a higher stature would either be in the, the first manner in a very small numbered audience or they would just be held somewhere else. They would often be held in Amdale or any other uh, locations that people of that sort of significance were deemed worthy of, uh, of being invited to. Point number three on the map of Valorondir is the Serpent's Caress. The Serpent's Caress takes the form of a busy and bustling tavern frequented by many of the local inhabitants. The Serpent's Caress not only serves a wide array of alcoholic beverages and a wide array of delicious meals, but also has a small number of rooms to rent for a reasonably fair price. Every weekend, bards are known to flock to the tavern to perform in the hope of earning as much coin as the populace is willing to give. And the last point of interest with regards to Valrondir is the Drid Bazaar. The third marketplace located in Jorha is undoubtedly the one that sells the goods of the poorest value. The location of the Drid Bazaar is, is used solely to buy the most basic of daily essential items. So this is the, the market sector of Valorondir where those who are living in extreme poverty have no other choice but to go in order to get maybe a loaf of bread, a, you know, uh, a bottle of, you know, day-old milk that is slowly turning off. You know, it's the, it's, it's the bottom of the barrel, essentially. And it's for those that can't afford to go to the, like, the regular markets or the ones that everybody else goes to. Um, 
it's also not the safest place to go. <laughs> um, pickpockets are extremely common in that region. So if you guys ever decide to uh, make your way down to that marketplace, just make sure your coin purse is very secure on your person. In addition to the locations that my players have just seen, there are many more that they will venture into. They may not have been graphically outlined as they are of not as much significance as the capitals that they've been shown. But I have a feeling that some of them my players will, will learn to love or hopefully want to come back to. So guys, we're going to move on to the religious structure of Vardor. This is something that was the bane of my, my DMing life trying to establish. But I think, hey, man. I mean, Tony, uh, Slade knows all about trying to create systems for his world. And I, I have to, ha I, hats off to you, my man. You've done a great job so far. Yeah. I mean, like, I'll be completely honest. Like, when I, before you and um, Norbit joined in, I had it set to where that I did have multiple gods. But then when you guys joined, I said, fuck all that shit. And I, killed every single one of them bastards off i i didn't want to have to deal with all that i love so that I, I love i'm that. gonna tip my hat to you for attempting to do it so kudos I love to you that. my friend i love that so we'll start off with zyuria's uh method of worship so overall zyuria adopts a very nordic pagan relig religion and worship style the people worship a pantheon of gods assigned to different sectors of life and they make offerings to their gods in uh, accordance to what they would like to to get from them parts of the religion are also center it's centering itself around sacrifice on extremely small scales whether it be through the sacrificial slaughter of small animals or through uh, sacrificing small quantities of uh, blood. So blood sacrifice. And by blood sacrifice, before anybody gets any bad ideas, I'm talking like pricking your finger for a singular drop of blood. I'm not expecting you to like slice the palm of your hand with a knife and like, you know, fill a jar with it. Um, when it comes to anything that can inflict pain in means of sacrifice, the gods look for as little as possible. Um, just because that's how they, how they tend to, to operate. Uh, where did I get to? Yes. Um, in, a, in, a, uh, in extension, there's going to be fumbling my fucking words again. In extension... War plays an extremely mixed part in the religious sect where warriors only fight as and when is absolutely necessary. At least that's how it used to be. Moving on to Venora. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Moving on to Venora. Venora's means of worship are much darker than the main continent. Although they follow the same religion as their eastern brethren, the Venorans can, be can only be classed as heretical worshippers. In Venora, religion is centered more towards the aspect of ritual sacrifice, blood, blood magic, and violence than it is towards the pacifistic methods 
that their Zayuri brethren have come to adopt. Cannibalism is also not uncommon in practice, but it is not deemed a core concept. The Venoran originally started out as a small sect of Zayuri worshippers who were cast out of the mainland for taking the religious followings too far and thus started their own colony and civilization. And uh, to say that that is a point of well. that is a point of contention is a slight understatement. So moving on to the gods themselves, the religion follows the worship of four gods. These gods take the following forms and are worshipped in such methods. We have the god, uh, the goddess. Actually, that is a um a typo on my part. Uh, the goddess of life, fertility, and earth, Ash. It's spelled A-S-E in the document, uh, but the A's got those two little dots uh, above it, so it changes the, pronunci the pronunciation a little bit. Ash is worshipped as the, the mother of the world of Vardor. Her existence is believed to have formed the natural landscape into the way that it is today. She resides in the heavens, looking down upon the world, healing it whenever damage is done, as well as blessing the world with bountiful harvests and uh, both vegetative and carnivorous crops. I don't know. That, that's another typo. I'm seeing typos all over the fucking place now, and it's annoying. <laughs> uh, Did you hear the word? The word? The bird is the word? Anyway, oh god, no, don't, don't go there. <laughs> uh, with, regards to Ash's, with regards to Ash's appearance, Ash is described as a young, taller than average female. Hourglass figure portraying a sense of beauty beyond the comprehension of many of the world's inhabitants. Her long, curled, flowing hair is as bright as the midday sun and a pale orange mixed with blonde highlights. Her skin is slightly tanned and her eyes are as blue as the purest sapphire. She adorns herself in a hooded robe decorated with a mix of vibrant blues and greens with depictions of both the sun and the moon on either sleeve. As, uh, oh, sorry, at the base of the robe is a depiction of, uh, the, of branches intertwining around the border and reaching approximately a third of the way up of the robe's height. The inhabitants of Vardor mainly worship Ash by blessing the, bo uh, the body of a successful hunt in their name and giving thanks to the bounty that it will provide through the sharing of excess crops to those in lessened successes as not to waste the fruits that they have been bestowed upon in the world and through short prayer at the end of a feast. Regular evening meals are exempt unless it is chosen to do so. So it's more... You're thanking Ash for giving you what you need to survive. You know, the crops, the, the animals that you eat, uh, the, you know, the clean water. It's basically respecting the, the natural world in many of the regards. Ash is the only god in Vardor that does not require any form of sacrifice in her name. Worshippers and followers of this deity find that, find that the practice is much more passive, peaceful, and less stressful in day-to-day -day activities and reflects upon focusing the world around them. Moving on to my favorite, the god of battle, Saturn himself. 
the man or the the, the god that uh inspired the name for the the gates of Amdale. Saturn is probably uh, primarily recognized by those who walk the paths of the warrior, those who fight whether it be tribal or in the capital army, all adhere to some form of worship of this deity, whether it be strict or passive. Saturn watches over the warriors in Vardor, ensuring victory in their respective conquests, or that they at least are met with a warrior's ending. He does not sway the tides of battle. He tries to bestow upon his worshippers with the courage that they need to continue whatever fight it is that they're currently undertaking. Saturn's appearance takes the visage of a towering warrior, armor-clad, holding a bronze greatsword. Saturn has long black hair tied back in a braid with the sides shaved. Sort of like a very braided uh, undercut sort of look. He has a long braided beard that is black in color. He has a rough facial expression, battle scarred with one very noticeable scar running deep across the left hand side uh, of his face, tracing his cheekbone from temple to his lower jaw. Uh, Saturn stands roughly 10 feet tall, so he's, he's a big boy. Uh, very muscular in build. Uh, stereotypically, what you would expect to see from a real life strongman. So, if you imagine uh, the mountain from Game of Thrones, uh, Half Thor Julius Bjornsson, who plays him, it, it, it just imagine a ten foot version of him, and that's pretty much what you're gonna you're gonna see. Uh, the God of Battle wears brightly polished heavy armor, which is a mix of gold and bronze in colors that is decorated with sigils uh, portraying the various clans and tribes of Vardor. At his side, a towering jaguar stands by his side, which the eyes of which glow golden and its claws seemingly made from the brightest shining silver. This is his pet. And you know what? No, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to tell you that because I'm going to see whether or not you guys will uh, will find that out in the in the game. Those who follow the path that worships Saturn worship him by being faithful and honorable and true in battle. Honor is the main code that drives these followers and is done so by fighting fair and true against your enemy. Worshippers can also pray for a swift battle before engaging in such combat. By participating in ritual combat one-on-one uh, -on -one with their enemy to show who is truly the most worthy adversary. One of the more passive ends of the scale, worshippers can also pay homage to the god by uh, bearing a pendant of a silver claw, a representation to the companion that stands vigilant by the god's side. In addition to this, offerings of minute amounts of blood can also be made upon a worshipper's blade before battle to bless them and their weapon. So I kind of I, I took inspiration for Saturn by looking at Ares, the god of war. But I tried to I tried to throw in some like more practical elements. So I wanted I wanted there to be like things that the inhabitants of Vardor could actually do as sort of like not superstition, like like I said, the adorning your blade with blood before battle, 
some people class it as superstition. Some people genuinely believes it helps uh, helps them gain favor in battle and you know keeps them from meeting their end. But this guy was this guy is my favorite of the deities, but he was also the hardest one to come up with because trying to find that mix of passive and involved worship it was it was a nightmare and yeah i'm I'm actually really interested to see how i mean he's gonna crop up in uh in the campaign i'm gonna be interested to see how he crops up moving on to the fourth uh not the fourth the third the third deity of vardor the deceiver the deceiver is not so much worship but he's feared a once blessed angel and devoted server to the Deliverer, who we'll get onto in a mo- in a moment, the Deceiver was cast out of the Pantheon for trying to twist the motives of the gods and cause division between them, potentially bringing around a cataclysmic event that would have shaken the world to its core and changed everything for the worse. The people of Vardor used the Deceiver as a ma- as a means of staying true to their gods, as it is believed that if you stray from the paths of the true deities, you end up in the afterlife being eternally tormented by the Deceiver, driven insane through mockery, torture, and gruesome images for having lost your way. This is kind of like the Boogeyman. I tried to I tried to take elements of Hades but try and really grim him up a little bit um it's one he he's one of these days that you you use to scare your kids into behaving you know you know basically do as you're told or the, the deceiver is going to come and take you away and there are certain sects of the people of Vardor who are absolutely terrified of even the mention of the name of the deceiver like they will they will shun you and basically run you out of town for for uttering that name the deceiver takes the appearance of a cloaked male figure half of their body and face is black as coal and the other is as white as snow the contrast represents both the heavens and the underworld of vardor with the deceiver having long hair that hangs past shoulder level and just sort of it it it's hard to describe it's more it's one of these things you'd actually have to see but the way that the hair flows it's like it's animated it's swaying even though he's standing still if that makes any sense because i'm probably not doing this any justice but that is the best that i can describe it yeah he's a pantan commercial yeah yeah he's one of those those stereotypical that shampoo is one commercials. way of looking at it yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, the deceiver. Deceiver, because you're worth it. Yeah, because you're definitely <laughs> worth it. Uh, you're worthy of being taken away because you become a heretic. Uh, the deceiver is believed to walk <laughs> walk the world carrying an ebony staff decorated with a stained bronze snake coiling up the shaft. And now we will move on to the fourth and final deity, the deliverer. The deliverer is hailed as the Vardorian equivalent of Odin the Allfather. The Deliverer is said to be the one responsible for bringing both life, existence, and death to the world of Vardor. 
They're considered the god of gods and they hold the dominion over everything in creation. The Deliverer's appearance takes the most grandiose out of all of the deities that are in the Pantheon. Dressed entirely in heavy golden armor that shines almost blindingly bright. Their helmet featuring two golden ram horns that curl up and backward towards the rear of the piece. Uh, between them is a shining blue orb of light that hovers permanently suspended in the air. The shoulder pauldrons that adorn the, the, the Deliverer's armor are thick. Um, they're, they're massive in size and they protrude outward, just adding a monumental amount of size to the image of the deity. They really, it's like they, they exaggerate his, his stature and his build and his frame. The Deliverer stands at maybe, I want to say about a foot shorter than the God of Battle, but that doesn't take away from the power that he holds in any way, shape, or form. This is not a guy that even the God of Battle standing at his 10 foot tall height would take lightly. The Deliverer holds an 8 foot greatsword, the chrome blade of which glistens and features a column of large fist-like gems down the center of the blade. And the gems go in order of ruby, emerald, amethyst, sapphire, and diamond. And each of them is said to represent each of the schools of magic in D&D. And that was actually one of the more pernickety little details that I had, uh, I had come up with. I was actually quite proud of that. So, with the religious side of Vardor now covered... It's time for everybody's favorite topic, politics. Now, the political side of Vardor is not as deep as the religious side. It's very much a mix of stereotypical political structure that you would find in a D&D campaign, but just with a little bit of shifting here and there. So. Zyuria, for the most part, the main continent is centered around a mix of religious and political ruling. In the more civilized areas, such as Amdale, uh, sorry, no, I got that wrong. In the more civilized areas of the, com uh, the continent, excluding the capital city, there is the typical structure for the general population, then the authorities, then the authoritative leader, and then the high council. In case, in the case of the capital city, the structure of the society is slightly different. It goes from the general population to the local authorities to the military to the high council and then the royalty. The local authorities take the form of a smaller faction of police-esque enforcers that work directly under the command of the military. Or in any case where the military is not present, they would work under the mayor or the lord of the, or of the town. This faction takes over the majority of the judicial functions of the capital, uh, the capital city of Amdale uh, by dealing with crimes ranging from petty theft, petty theft to fraud and 
at the higher end of the scale to manslaughter. Uh, in areas outside of the capital, they would act like police and they would report any criminals to the uh, to the mayor or the lord of the city, and then the lord of the city would be the one that deals the final sentence. And then, obviously, depending on the sentencing, you're either killed or you are sent to prison. For larger scale crimes such as treason and premeditated murder, they defer directly to the military who handle these crimes on behalf of the crown. Local authorities are often run by a sergeant or if the area is big enough, a captain. So most of uh, Jorha, you would have sergeants, uh, but for quite a few regions in Zayuri, you would have captains. The authoritative leader, usually in the form of a councilman, uh, they oversee uh, villages and small towns, report any needs or issues to larger cities if required. They hold no rank in terms of nobility or military and are appointed by election every 10 years. So kind of like what we've got over here in the UK. Sort of. Very loosely. But just very fucking loosely. Moving on to the military. Zayuri is the only continent in Vardor that possesses a formal military. They are very well trained, and their numbers are just shy of 15,000 strong. Their history, in comparison to that of the world of Vardor, is short, since they were only formed as a direct result. And this is one of the things that I changed. Uh, they were formed as a result of the blood war between Zayuri and Venora. Zayuri formed their military in response to their NATO victory, after coming to the conclusion that they should establish dominance uh, and grip over their territory in fear of losing it altogether. As the monarchy changes, the structure of the military follows suit, the uh, with the military mainly using melee weapons, um, as they have not gathered the means to produce firearms of any discernible kind yet. Technology just hasn't really advanced that far in, in Vardor. Uh, which I, I think kind of answers Unicorn's uh, question from the beginning. Moving on. I am so excited for this because, oh, oh, this is great. The High Council. Oh, okay. The Vardorian High Council acts as the stepping stone between the military commanders of the world and the monarchy of Zayuri. They act as advisors confidants and decision makers in conjunction with the royalty and rule over various sectors of the economy and the world. Up first, we have the High Chancellor of Coin, Baron Yashin Drakana, advisor to the king on all matters of national finance. Lord Drakana is a middle-aged half-orc who rose to prominence for showing his ability to control large sums of wealth through diplom uh, diplomacy and trade negotiations. Yashin is described as roughly six feet tall, with chestnut hair that is beginning to show signs of aging and greying at the roots. The Baron dresses in light plate armor decorated with a lavish, a lavish sapphire blue cloak bearing his family sigil, which takes the form of a golden diamond with a depiction of a red sun 
above it and a snow white crescent moon underneath it. Aaron Dracana's attitude is snooty, pompous, arrogant. He despises the masses and he is a firm believer that their financial difficulties are a direct result of laziness and their lack of motivation to tap into the opportunities afforded to them by the crown. We've all heard the term laissez-faire, which basically means you deal with your situation on your own. That is this man's mantra. If you are poor, it is your fault and you have to deal with that. It is up to you to change it. He, he, will, he will not give you a handout. He will not give you a coin to get your next meal. He will not give you a rag to clean yourself. He, he will look at you and with the opinion of you got yourself into this mess. It's your own fault. Get yourself out of it. He is not, not by any means a likable person. Moving on to the High Commander of the Sword. The Commander General, Ivar the Loyal, a fallen Asimar of legend. Ivar fought in the Blood War alongside King Yorick the Black, the first King of Vardor, as his right-hand man. Ivar the Loyal was enlisted as a captain during the war and showed, and showed, showed <laughs> fortitude and courage and the ability to make clear and quick deci decisive actions that arguably, depending on who you ask, helped steer the tide of the overall war and the overall conflict. The captain became the bodyguard of the monarchy during its establishment and later became the high commander of the sword after voluntarily resigning his commission after being promoted to general of the armed forces. The high commander resides in a private residence close to the castle with his wife and children, living a mostly comfortable and quiet life as a respected member of the high council. He is a man not to waste words, and speaks with purpose and an energy that commands respect. He appreciates proper etiquette and despises those who do not know their place. That being said, he acknowledges skill and respect and shows it when necessary. This is the sort of guy who I think a lot of us can relate to. If you show respect, you'll get it back. If you act like an asshole, you're going to know about it. And, uh, to describe uh, the High Commander of the Sword, he is, I'd say he's roughly seven foot tall, very well built. He, if he was, if we were to add a, a human age to him, I would probably say somewhere around early 50s. But ASMR age differently, so I really don't know how that scales. So that's one thing I'm going to have to look nice. into. Hmm? They they age slower than elves. But slower than elves. Holy shit! Yeah. So fucking elf. Elves tend to live, um, unless specified as basically immortals. But uh, elves always look like super young. Yeah. Right. So. Imagine an ASMR being slower than that. Right. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I'll I'll for 
in the time between now and when we actually start recording in two weeks time i'll go and i'll i'll scale up his age and uh i'll uh, i'll put it into the, the stats that i've got for this guy um because the the listeners at home probably won't see this document he wears an entire suit of armor uh it's black and golden design and it's got this I don't, I think, I, th- I reckon you would call it a sash that hangs at the front. Um, although it's not a direct representation of the High Commander, this is actually as close as I could get it. Uh, strapped to his right-hand side, he has got two very unique-looking uh, swords. He is a dual wielder by, by training. However, <laughs> um, he dual wields great swords. He is that much of a oh, badass. Yeah. He is that much of a fucking badass. So, moving on to the High Justice. And uh, I think this is the guy that I, I'm least looking forward to you guys encountering. High Justice. As head of one of Zairi's longest-running noble families, Cassilius Sly rose to position of the High Justice, the head of the Grand Court of Vardor, due to his loyalty and honesty during service to the monarchy. As leader of the Grand Court, Cassilius oversees the annual meeting of the Grand Court, at which the heads of all of Zairi's local courts convene to discuss, debate, and pass new legislation. He is described as a red-skinned tiefling with horns that are dyed white at the tips. Nobody knows why he chooses to do this, but he does that routinely every couple of years. It's just one of his little quirks. He, he chooses to dye his horns. The High Justice dresses in fine tunics and robes and has a deep, almost, almost comforting voice that when, a, when used appropriately is... It actually commands a sense of power and authority. He is exactly as his surname is implies. He is a sly motherfucker. He knows every legal loophole, every gray area, and every law that there is in Vardor. There is not one legal document that he does not know like back and front, word for word. He is the Sheldon Cooper, <laughs> the Sheldon Cooper of uh, the legal system. He, he knows everything. And finally, moving on to the Grand Seer, the voice of the Deliverer, Marius of House Starborn. After growing up in the long-running Starborn house, noble in nature and high in influence within Vardor, Marius became the Grand Seer and the voice of the Deliverer and head of all religious uh, order and practice within the capital and the wider areas of Zyuria after allegedly being granted an audience with the Deliverer himself, during which it is believed that the gods bestowed upon him the knowledge and sight superior to a regular mortal. Marius mainly resides within the Grand Temple, where he receives audiences with high-ranking no- uh, nobles of the city who wish to come closer to the gods. 
Starborn also conducts religious ceremonies on behalf of the crown, such as christenings and weddings um, and other small intimate affairs. He is a short but slender built human with golden hair and red, ruby red eyes, which I know differs various, uh, vividly from the photo that's in the document, but that is actually the closest I could come to, to finding for him anyway. Um, the Grand Seer dresses in a multicolored robe that is lined with gold decorations of the gods, and he has a tattoo on each hand, a claw on the left, signifying the jaguar that accompanies the god of battle, and on the right, a depiction of the moon. So he is, a, he is ex an extremely, extremely religious being. This is a man who, when we talk about strict worship of the gods, like the level of strictness he shows in his worship makes other strict worshippers look casual. He will never do anything to displease the gods. He will actively go out on a limb to gain as much favor as possible he is very well versed in the arcane arts some would say that his knowledge is unnatural in nature some just perceive it to be a gift from the gods along with the the sight that he was granted others are a little bit skeptical of their grand seer some don't really agree with a person holding such arcane power being in charge of the the church but you guys will have to meet him and to uh form your own opinions of him moving on to the big bad evil guy actually you know what he didn't really think i was gonna tell you anything about them did you oh honey you're all gonna have to wait just a little bit longer but i promise you it'll be worth it Okay, so I'm going to take a pause from going through the document at the moment because I know that I've just hurled a shitload of information at my players. And I'm going to take this opportunity to give them a little bit of time to ask any questions with regards to what we've gone through so far before we move on to the, the next portion of the document itself. So... If you guys have any questions or if you have anything that you want me to uh, try and clarify without giving away any meta knowledge, you feel free to ask. Question for the DM. Uh-huh. When do we start? I've already told you. We start on the 20th, Rob. I'm more meant for the viewer's sake, but all right. Okay, so... Uh, for the for the listeners at home, this session's been recorded on May sixth. Um, we we're doing the session zero tonight, and then we're taking a week off and starting the official campaign on May twentieth. But if you follow us on social media, you'll know that it won't be closer until the beginning of August by the time that you actually hear this episode. Um, the reason for that being is that we want to bank a minimum of ten episodes so that. If we come to a point where we have to take a week off, you guys don't miss too much content. So we're trying to have surplus content in the bank because there's going to be weeks where scheduling doesn't allow it. There's already going to be one week where I'm not going to be there. Like I'm not going to be here for recordings. 
and life just has a tendency to throw shit at us that we didn't see coming so stockpiling content and then releasing once we're a little bit further in so that you guys have got a hopefully continuous stream of episodes but yeah guys feel free to ask away you guys i'm giving you complete you know control all right i do have a question yes sir um in in regards to the religion yes sir so not to give spoilers to my character specifically but my character is very religious towards a very specific uh deity yes okay the deity that i am worshiping is not here no uh that is because in addition to the gods that are in this document you will still see the typical gods from D&D. you'll still see the raven queen you'll still see the fiend you'll still see the archfey um hell depending on how far you guys derail this campaign you may even encounter the demon lords of the nine hells such as asmodeus and baphomet you know i mean that is that is completely a possibility um my my question is on the the residing factor of that if the gods that were mentioned before in uh the list that you gave is it more or less that like these gods that were mentioned are are more like higher being forms of gods and that these other gods are like lesser gods that work and reside for specific gods so like for example let's say that um what's a what's a good one um malora for example uh-huh. malora is a goddess that has to do with n- nature technically so would she be like a lesser god that would work for ash yes in the sense yeah so so it's more the le- lines of that patreons and let there are patreons and lesser gods that are of equal footing and they reside or work for the greater gods which is the ones that you've listed here yeah yeah so uh, okay that is that's something that i've already taken into consideration i know uh from what you've told me about your patron and what we know of rob's patron because both me and you slade we both know that i've played a character that adheres to the same patron that rob's going to be playing with um the incorporation of both of your patrons into vardorian uh mythology and society uh it's going to be if you imagine like a, a three-tier system where you've got the patrons, the lesser gods, and then the Vardorian gods. That that sort of structure. But none gotcha. of them none of them right. really none of them really clash with each other. Um really trying to give the answer without giving any potential spoilers. Well, uh, it, it was more the lines of like it let's say for example that there is a situation where we have to communicate with one of these higher greater gods mm-hmm. it's more the lines of that i i personally as a player would like to know which one i am more aligned with 
in my aspect of my Patreon because of the fact that I don't want to go against that said uh, deity because of the fact that my Patreon is aligned and working for that said God, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So your patron slade do they for, do they carry the same alignment as your character in i know i know that the first part of your alignment is chaotic but the second i'm neutral but you're, i am neutral you're neutral right does your patron follow that same alignment uh they don't follow the chaotic part they're what is classified as true neutral right okay so with regards to your uh your patron then they will they will not clash with uh with the vardorian gods um okay the just completely spitballing here if they were to ever interact with the deceiver then although your patron wouldn't have any sort of quarrel with the deceiver the deceiver would still try to bring harm upon your your patron just because he is true chaotic he is he's yeah. evil um so because i know I, I i know as far as like my patreon is concerned so for those that are listening on to what i'm about to say my my patreon is uh completely homebrewed and it's of the sense that the way that i designed my patreon is was to be a true neutral patreon and that she is of a nature aspect. So reading over these gods uh, that are given to me here by the DM, to me, my mentality is that I'm kind of a mix between God of life and God of battle because of the fact that i would primarily lean towards god of life because of the nature aspect of the patreon themselves and that there's like roughly about an 80 percent uh possibility that that's who they would more likely be aligned with but also there is the aspect of the other side of the neutrality concept of that my patreon doesn't care about life and death because it's a natural thing so if battle were to come about then they are going to help you in that said battle as much as possible without interfering themselves so my patreon would fall into either one of those categories and it's uh, as a player i don't want to go in and basically insult the higher beings that are above my patreon yeah. if they they themselves are following under the categories of one of these said higher being gods so i i personally would like to know just in the retrospect of things as to if it were to come down to it would i potentially worship both of those gods or would i just ignore both of those altogether and only focus on the patreon so because of the neutrality of your patron and how it you know, like like i said it, it wouldn't spark any sort of discord immediately between the, them and the vardorian gods 
if you wanted to figure out whether or not you were directly uh worshipping ash as well as your patron that would be a decision that would be made by your character you can choose to but you can also choose not to um just because you're an inhabitant of this world does not necessarily mean that you're forced into worshipping the gods i mean you can you can choose not to i mean there are there are going to be people that don't you know adhere to any form of religious worship there's going to be ones that you know go from that end of the scale all the way up to the grand seer where you know like i've said he is he is like the by the freaking book he like almost like he wrote the book um, well, not to give out any spoilers or anything for my character but it's of the aspect that the only reason that my character became religious in the first place was because of my backstory so because of that i would want to know as much about my patreon as possible and if my patreon stated that they are a that they're working for one of these said gods then as a character i would like to know that so that if the time should come that i should physically meet one of these higher tier gods that i don't walk up to them and say oh hey you know like you're not my god fuck off you know <laughs> yeah i understand that i understand that um like i said the neutrality of your character aligning with the new, the neutrality of your patron it doesn't put you in a position where you have to be finding yourself in a position of choosing between them you can decide and i mean i don't i'm going to be straight up honest as a, as a, as the dm here i don't 100% know how to play your patron in that regard because all of the uh the involvement of your patron that I've got so far hasn't actually stemmed into that line of questioning. But I can tell you that you don't need to feel as if you have to choose. Like I said, if you if you if your character chose to to uh to worship some of the Vardorian gods, then that's fine. Um because of the neutrality of your your patron, they they really shouldn't care. The only reason that they should care is if you're say say your patron was lawful goods and you started trying to worship the deceiver then they would take issue with it because gotcha. that, that that's that's you know the opposite side of the coin gotcha so right so just just for some clarification if your god has the same alignment as one of the gods you've created then you're our character's god would be working under them they might have similar interests they might uh they might be loosely affiliated with them but i I wouldn't like i wouldn't think of it as like an employee employer relation relationship um no yeah but the you know gods can work together you know it's not uncommon and it, you know you guys can stem that sort of rping scenario in whichever way you want if you guys feel comfortable doing that because in at least for me it's like i said because the way that i view neutrality is that it it's a balance there there's two sides of the coin 
right? Uh-huh. So the way that I designed my Patreon was that on one retrospect of the coin, she is very she she's all about life. She's about like bringing things into the world and keeping them there and preserving them, uh-huh. even though that she takes it in a different way than the God of life, Ash, as you've described. She does it in a very different retrospect than she does, but it's still the same concept at the end of it all. But on the flip side of that coin, I could also see where that I would, in some retrospects, worship Saturn, the god of battle, because to my Patreon, death is just another adventure. It's just like another pathway, another door opening. It, it's not something to be scared of. It's not something that that needs to be addressed. Like it, it's kind of one of those things that if the antelope were to pray to the gods to to be saved from the lion, the lion would starve. You know, it's one of those retrospects. So to her battle is just another part of life it's just another thing that we have to deal with and get through but that doesn't mean that she's not willing to address her her help to you if the case were to arise so i can see to where i would i personally would worship both of those but if it's in the retrospect that i don't have to worship either one of those then it's one of those things I have to kind of delve into as a player because of the fact that that more than likely at some point we're going to go in and meet these characters, I would assume. So I would have to figure out as far as like how to address them with that mindset, knowing that I'm worshiping somebody that's lesser than they are, but has the same ideals that both of them have. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand where you're coming from. And I think I've, I've, I think I've sort of steered back to what Unicorn was asking um, a couple of minutes ago. Uh, Unicorn, like you've just told me, uh, your character worships uh, a chaotic evil uh, deity. So, the way that it would work is, let me see if I can describe this in a way that would make sense and encompass all of the patrons and all of the, the D&D deities uh, in a relationship with the ones that I've created. If the alignment of your deity or patron does not match up with one of the alignments of one of the Vardorian gods, then it's not going to negatively impact your experiences in society. So, for instance, uh, Unicorn with the uh, the god that your character worships being chaotic evil, although some may frown upon the mention of your god, they're not going to run you out of town uh, if they find out that you adhere to that style of worship. Um, but I can hear you typing. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> what are you sending me? You'll see. Okay. So 
I'm listening. It's like, okay, so to take inspiration from Critical Role and fall into that trap of doing so, uh, the way they run it is that certain gods and worship of those gods is forbidden within society. I've kind of loosened that up a bit where all of the gods, the worship of them is acknowledged. Some of them are not looked upon as favorably as others. Um, some of the, some lore may pertain to disagreements between those gods, but it's not a case of, oh, you worship the Storm Lord? No, get out. Or, oh, you worship the Raven Queen? Welcome, you know, please stay. You know, what is mine is yours. It's, Vardor is a very religiously tolerant place. You know, they'll, they'll tolerate, tolerance is the wrong freaking word. That is completely <laughs> the wrong word. It is a religiously diverse place that accepts very like multiple forms of worship but they will not um they will not stigmatize you for it in any way shape or form Some so people... as a blue player for magic the gathering i'll allow it basically <laughs> yeah 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 oh well yeah okay uh rob have you got any questions so far i'm just listening in amazement mate oh god <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna wait for Unicorn to finish typing out what they've uh what they're typing at the moment. And is this you, is this you writing a question, Unicorn, or is this you just noting things down? Not a question. Not noting things down either. Is this you just telling me something that I need to know about your character? Yes. Okay. So am I okay uh, to move on? Yes. Well, uh. I had one funny question, and then you had a funny question. Could, oh god! I had a funny. I had a funny question, and then I had another serious question, and I had to find the serious question first. Um, I can fucking I'm, find it. I'm almost scared. It had to do with the fucking high council, and I can't remember what I was going to ask. Okay. All right, I got it. Right. So so the high council themselves, they only control the Vardorian uh uh continent, correct? They they hold influence over uh Zayuri over Jorha and Arcada. Those... So they each retrospect have their own areas that they no run no over. no no they all reside within Amdale, the capital of Zairi, but they their their power extends to those three continents. The only way the only place they don't have jurisdiction over is Venora. Okay, the the reason I asked that was because I was under the the aspect of thinking that. Each of them were on their own separate continent that you have given us no. and that they ruled over that area. But then the main continent was where they had their like big meetings or no. whatever. No, no, if no, they no. need to discuss anything. They all okay. they all they all reside within the noble sector 
are at least some part of the noble sector of Amdale. It's just that their power and their influence and their reach extends to everywhere apart from Venora. And there is, okay. a, there is a reason why Venora is out of their jurisdiction. And we'll get to that um, in just a little bit. We'll get to that later on in the, in the document. Because if, if I remember correctly, I did put it in there. Uh, okay. Now, my funny question is, uh-huh. like, you, you forgot to answer me earlier about oh, who made these fucking awesome maps. Because, uh, like... I will... To be honest, it is one of the... I've got about a hundred different uh, folders. Not folders, but a hundred different websites in, in a folder on my taskbar on Google Chrome. I can't remember which one it is that I got these maps for. I think, I've, yeah, I've just found the one that I got uh, the Venoran capital from. The one for Amdale... I have absolutely no idea where I got that. That was, uh, I think that was like a two-hour binge skimming through of Google Images. Um, That was a very well, like, very, very well done binge. You want to know the the fucking funny part about that map? uh, Is that that version of the map is... If I remember correctly, uh, is that the hand-drawn version or is that the uh, the digitalized version of the hand-drawn well, version? Well, it looks hand-drawn because of the, the marker yeah. and the, the pen that's sitting next to it. Yeah. So I'm sitting here looking at, like, for those that are listening right now, I'm, like, I'm sitting here looking at this map. And I, for my campaign, just to get my players through, I find maps that represent what my ideas are in my head because I suck at map making and I have used six different programs and I still can't get map making right. And I would love for there to be a day in my existence that somebody is just so obsessed with map making that they would come to my podcast and say here let me make maps for you guys oh that'd be great fantastic and if i ever find a guy that can make a map this well detailed as what (laughs) i'm seeing here i quite literally might just marry that person that is uh, at least get them dinner first tony i will skip dinner i will quite literally skip dinner give them my 20 dollars, and say here we're about to have a good time oh (laughs) i thought you were gonna say something totally different i didn't i knew that's where he was going with it like 20 dollars in this case does more than just 20 (laughs) dollars oh god okay so i was no i can't say what i was thinking <laughs> uh tony if you're wanting someone who does really really good uh D maps then there is a tiktoker that i kind of took influence from for for certain things but i i will find them and i will uh I'll send you one of their videos so you can access their link tree because I think that they actually have maps for uh for people to download. In fact, yes, I've just found them. Um so it, for those of you on TikTok uh on, on that are listening to this, you can actually if you're looking for someone who does really good uh TikTok content for Dungeons and Dragons, 
uh, you can go and search for at Dungeon Master Diary because as well as watching them draw maps that they use on a regular basis, they they narrate their videos with like really good story hooks that have given me some really good inspiration for, for this campaign. I'm not saying I've used them all, but I'm pretty sure Dungeon Master Diary has a link tree on their TikTok account that you can go, and I think it's either on their Patreon account or I think they have an official website. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not going to delve into it just now, but I do think that they do have a place where you can access maps that they've created. Okay. Any other questions before we, we move on to the next section? Nope, I'm good. No. Okay. I'm good. So, moving on to the history side of Vardor. The vist- the la, 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 la. That was completely wrong. That is the worst history I've ever heard in a long time. I was the fucking campaign. We haven't even it. delved into our characters yet. I know. I, know. I did realize wrong. that Tyler Tasmanian fucking devil was included in this. I, know, I didn't know shitbag was in this campaign. What yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, if I can get my words to come out properly, the history of Vardor stretches back roughly 500 years. Throughout those centuries, only a few remarkable events have been seen to shape the course of the world's societies. Vardor's population can be described predominantly by recognizing the most commonly known aspects of Nordic culture. Although not expressly the same, the ideas of worship, conquest, and honor remain roughly the same. Tribes and clans exist throughout the world, as do the civilizations that once encapsulated uh, the, the larger portions of the continents. The majority of Vardor is tribal, with only Zyuria, the continent home to the capital city and a Vardorian monarchy, and Jorha, the eastern lands, having advanced beyond their brutal tribal ancestry. History shared between the contents, uh, the continents in Vardor is mixed. Tribal skirmishes were known to ex- exist since the beginning of recorded time. Clans and tribes battling one another for land and small-scale power, with others fighting over petty differences and their varying ways of worshipping the same gods. That was until the Blood War. The Blood War of the year 365 is the largest recorded conquest in Vardorian history. The onset of the war is shrouded in mystery, with the general consensus being that the warriors of Venora, an exiled heretical sect of worshippers, banished for their own violent ways of worship from the main continent, invaded Zyuria seeking revenge. Upon their arrival to the continent, they were met with a force of 50,000 strong armed warriors who drove them back to the brink of destruction. During the course of the Blood War, over 30,000 people died in a war that lasted over four years. Lands were stained with the bloods of both the innocent and the wrongful. Bloodlines were ended. Villages and towns were put to the sword and legends were born in their stead. At the end of the bloody period, a new power found itself seated in the continent. It was now that the Vardorian monarchy was formed from a family of warriors held in high regard as the heroes of Vardor. 
With their rise to power came the swift progression of society from tribal to a more modern world. The capital city was formed. Trade grew at an exponential rate, bringing in le vast levels of wealth to those powerful or lucky enough to tap into its possibilities. For some, though, this meant poverty. For those are the ones that were not so fortunate to be caught up in the current of wealth and power. These are the people who had to fight every single day, living meal to meal. Loyalty to the Vardorian monarchy is as divisive as the cultural differences of which it stemmed. For what with the changes in society came the changes in religious worship. With people, bringing, with people being encouraged to take a more passive approach to their faith and to simplify it. As many adopted this simplified means of worship, word began to spread from the capital to the outlying villages, where faith was held in a more highly and strictly held regard. This created a taste of disdain between the traditional and the modernized worshippers, with each of them looking at each other with low-level disgust and pity. The monarchy itself, young in, in, uh, young in its existence in comparison to the rest of the world, has seen the coming and going of several kings. Following the conclusion of the Blood War, King Yorick the Black rose to power, reigning from 371 to 420. Blaze it. Yorick garnered a reputation for dominance on the battlefield, having put thousands of Venoran warriors to the sword, where he ritualistically blackened their faces with the dirt of the lands that he came to rule. His reign was the most notably marked by the establishment of what modern-day Vardorians would class as a successful and healthy world. Following Yorick's death, his daughter Tora, the Emerald, known famously for her eyes that shone with bright green vibrance that's said to be a gift from the goddess of life herself, Queen Tora led the way for an artistic revolution in Vardor inspiring a period of romantic nationalism during which songs, poems, and other forms of artistic representation were birthed. Queen Tora, during her reign as monarch, was also praised for her attempts at bridging the gaps between the peoples of the capital and the outlying rural areas, attempting to bring her people back to a more traditional method of worship and ending the disdain between the, the people of Vardor. Her attempts although mixed in successfulness, are considered to be one of the leading policies of her family's reign, something she worked on until she passed the crown to her son Alfred in the year 457. Alfred, the current reigning monarch of Vardor, is one of which was... He walks a line neither of his previous reigning family members have in the past. King Alfred's reign is marked by the resent of the lower class masses who feel as though they have been shunned by the monarchy and by those who are more affluent. Crime in the outskirts of the capital is on the rise and relations with the native Vardorians is declining from the levels established by his mother Tora during the previous reign. Alfred is a young king, only 19. Some consider him too young to reign, and in an effort to counteract these beliefs, Alfred established the High Council, a small elite group of high-ranking noblemen of different sectors of life designed to advise him 
and inform the new king on matters that are critical to the stability of existing society. So to go through each of those reigns, one by one, Yorick the Black, as I already stated, he was a warrior of legend. He is one of the very few warriors of legend to have come out of the, con the conclusion of the, the Blood War. At the conclusion of the war itself, he was looked at as the strongest and the most fitting to pave the way for the development of the new world. He was already known as a man of high stature with the, uh, with the tribe that he originated from before the war being held in high respect not necessarily a high position of influence, but they were just very respected. Um, they were liked. They didn't control the most land, but they didn't control the least land either. He... He wasn't so much of a... an aggressive leader. He sort of mellowed out after the war. But he maintained a very watchful eye to make sure that the peace that he had come to earn through the blood war was sustained. And like we already uh, found out earlier, Ivar the Loyal was his right-hand man and personal bodyguard. And one of the first... In fact, no, Ivar the Loyal was the first member of the High Council. Because King Alfred knew of the link between Ivar the Loyal and his, his grandfather. And he respected that link. He respected that relationship that they had. And Ivar was the first person that Alfred went to when, when going about creating the High Council. Queen Tora was loved by everybody. Despite the disdain that the more traditional people who inhabit the tribal plains had towards the more civilized people, the more modernized people, they still loved their queen. They still held her in high regard. And she did, in comparison to everybody else in Amdale, she did conform to a more traditional style of worship. She still held that traditionalist belief. She, if I can, if I can kind of describe the way that she was viewed by the public, she was kind of the people's queen. She was there for everybody. She kick-started the, the renaissance for romanticism and creative expression. Like I said, songs, poems, plays, um... Any form of musical or artistic representation that can bring joy was done because of her. She encouraged it. And she made sure that any repression of that sort of expression was very quickly stamped out. And like I said, King Alfred, the current king, he's, he's young. He's very young. He's, he's still a boy. He is very... I don't want to say doubtful, but he, he, he second-guesses his abilities, which is why he's gone about creating the High Council. He means well, and he knows that his reign is one of division. 
is it is one that he knows there are large groups of people out there that don't like him but he wants to do well he wants to do right by his people he means well but not everything is as it seems but you guys will have to figure that out in the campaign so with regards to the history section in the document do you guys have any questions or anything that you would like expansion upon nope no all good okay so we're coming towards the end of the document and uh these this this little section here is just notes uh that i wanted to uh, pass on to my players so to the three of you guys before we delve into this fantastical world where we are going to uncover so much there's just a couple of things i re i would really like to say first and what the first one of which is being a massive massive thank you to all three of you for agreeing to be a part of this campaign the participation by you guys means so much and now that i've seen your character sheets i am fucking hyped uh -oh. because this is going to be one hell of a journey the second one is that this world is completely unique. Though there are elements from traditional Dungeons and Dragons uh, that you may already know, such as deities tied to classes and subclasses, etc., the majority of it is subject to my own imagination. I, I really, really am hoping that the more you delve into the world of Vardor, the more you'll fall in love with it. And trust me, you guys will have, or probably have, a bigger impact on the world than you than you anticipate third one being uh as an extension of the last point there are several homebrew mechanics that i've actually put into the campaign that i will explain fully when they're introduced uh these are designed to add a little bit of variety to the usual D, &D mechanics that we all know and love but i just i when i was planning out chapter one Whenever I was looking at mechanics that could possibly come into different scenarios, I was thinking to myself, what is a really unique sort of flavor that I could add to this? Um, so yeah, that's going to crop up. There's going to be homebrew stuff. There's going to be homebrew spells. There's going to be homebrew items. There's going to be homebrew... Uh, buffs and debuffs and status effects and stuff like that that you guys will either get to use or you will be subject to so it's all it's all down to how you guys uh cope with that the next one is respect to leveling leveling will be based upon reaching campaign milestones we are not doing xp based because that is a level of math that my brain is just not fucking ready for and I really did not want to do XP-based miles uh, leveling because I know for a fact that Slade has been using milestone leveling for his campaign. And at every single D&D campaign that I, I listen or watch, milestone has always worked out a lot simpler and a lot more smoothly than XP. Yes, sir. Because also, uh, so after session zero, we'll be at level three, right? No, nope. is that that that's what we discussed? No, nope. yeah, that that nope. was a milestone. I, I thought we discussed that. No, nope. DM, 
DM. No, no, DM. No. Mutiny. Mutiny. Uh, for a mutiny. Uh, Overthrow the DM. I will kill you all before you're even born. <laughs> I hate I hate levels one and two. Like I absolutely despise those two levels above any other levels. Um look at plus A Tony, you'll be same rank as me, noob. <laughs> so the biggest reason I went about choosing milestone leveling is because in my opinion xp based leveling is very heavily skewed towards who can do the most damage in combat so you could have a monk with five attacks per turn and they land 90 percent of the killing blows because that means they get more xp than you guys do and do that's... you want me to give you my as a, a another DM? Do you want me to give you my personal opinion as far as the only time that XP leveling is acceptable? Yeah, in a D and D campaign, whenever you're training or teaching children how to play D and D and using D and D to teach them um, like school shit, so like science, math, history, stuff like that. It's the only time XP leveling, I would say, is an exception to that rule. I have never heard of that being a thing before, but I am very curious I, to find out how it would go down. I, I so my aunt is a librarian at a um an, a middle school, elementary school. There's a teacher there that teaches math and science using D and D. Oh wow. And yeah. she she uses XP to further enhance that because she's even told me that she hates XP leveling herself, but the kids absolutely love it because it helps them with their mathematical equations whenever they're trying to get ready for a test. Oh, wow. Okay. I've never heard of that being being a thing. Yeah. yeah. So last last little note on this list is that you guys have all been chosen for your skill, your creativity, and your imagination. I mean, I like I, like I already said, Slade has been playing D&D or variations of D&D for over 20 years. Unicorn has been playing for over six years on and off. Rob, you may not have as much experience as these guys, but your creativity and your the rate that you you pick things up and you learn things and you adapt to things and you your your problem solving and stuff like that that all made you an extremely viable player for this campaign because slade's got the potential for it to, to act like a ridiculous moron unicorn's got the uh, potential to act like a ridiculous moron and you certainly have the potential to act like a ridiculous moron but you all so, also have that. That story. doesn't sound like me. I like okay. I, I don't know about Unicorn's character, but at least for mine, I'll go ahead and give you a heads up. Think of me as early two thousands emo kid. Oh my god! <laughs> That's oh. quite literally the the <laughs> aspect of how I'm going to treat oh. this character. God. Can we just pause for a minute and get the piano and play the G note? Uh-huh. <laughs> and then leave it at that. Uh-huh. That's that's quite literally <laughs> where I got the inspiration for this character from. Yeah. Was early 2000s emo kid. Yeah. You guys you guys are family to me, both 
with Unicorn being actual family to me and Rob and Slade being as close to family as can possibly be. And thus, you guys will always have a seat at my table, whether it be online like we're doing for this campaign or in the, in the, the odd circumstance that we all find ourselves sitting around an actual table playing Dungeons and Dragons at one point. What are you talking about? I'm at your window right now. What the fuck? Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> how did Damn. you how did you how did you levitate because i'm i'm on the second story of my house and you're 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 peeking your head through my window right now dude i have the fly ring on man i have feather fall <laughs> and fly <laughs> on god like oh, wait hold right, on. seriously oh. guys shut the fuck up shut the fuck up guys right it's fucking cold out here someone fucking let me in oh yeah it's like no joke <laughs> it's cold it's, it's cold I'm as freezing it's cold as balls where i am my right balls now. are shriveled all right fucking let me in i don't need to know about your balls rob come on <laughs> well you do know okay. you said we're basically close to family family help each other uh, cool. moving on to <laughs> the one section of campaign structuring that not everybody likes acknowledging but it's one that has to be said the table rules i do have a list of rules and they're mainly common sense so the first one is that the word of the DM is final. If the DM wishes to overrule a decision, there is no room for debate. That being said, the DM will always attempt to be fair and equally opportunistic to all players during the entirety of the campaign. If I say that you can't do something, it's because there's a reason whether you guys have stumbled upon it or not. There's a reason that you guys can't do that. Maybe you can't kill a, a certain NPC, or maybe you can't open a specific door. Maybe you just haven't found the key yet. But, what are you talking about? I'm stabbing the 19-year-old king now. Like, Oh, uh, please don't. <laughs> oh, God. Don't kill the king. Okay. Wow, he's doing that while singing, I'm not. Okay. Oh, God. The second rule for the table is that everybody's voice is of equal value. As a result of this, if somebody is talking, please do not interrupt them or try to diminish what they are saying or what they have already said. This includes trying to dissuade them from making a decision uh, for, like, on behalf of their character or trying to steer them into vocalizing things in a different way that you perceive to be better. So say Rob decides that he wants to stealth his way around a specific location, whereas Slade wants to just kick the front door in and he's not really wanting Rob to waste his time stealthing around. You don't try and change his mind. If Rob wants to stealth, let him stealth. I know. He's okay, I, I will ask a question in regards to that, and this is something that does need to be addressed. Uh-huh. It, it, it's not of the fact of me, like, basically outright saying do this but is it okay for us to discuss before the action oh yeah you what can, it you is can, that we do you can discuss tactics yeah because like if, if it was the case of like in the sense of that in the example that you gave rob is wanting to sneak while i'm wanting to go full force into the battle and fray before we commit such an action, could we as the party discuss what th those actions would entail and come up with a solution for everybody in that retrospect? Yes. Uh, okay, in, cool. In any and all 
instances where tactics have to be discussed. You guys will always have the opportunity to discuss amongst the three of yourselves how you want to approach a situation and come to a general consensus as close to a plan as possible. Um, that will include various times where NPCs will be involved in that as well. So it's mainly a case of if you decide upon something, like say we get to a session and Unicorn already has her, her mindset on doing something and she reveals, mm -hmm. hey, DM, I'd like to go and do this. Don't try and dissuade her from, from doing that. You know, likely, the likelihood is that she's choosing to do that for a reason and she feels like it would, it would be beneficial to the, the advancement of her character. The next one is again it's a common it's a common sense thing and it it's not something i ever see being a problem at this table we encourage free speech that being said there are some common sense limitations uh to what is acceptable those being that under no circumstances are any expressions of racism sexism bigotry transphobic behavior xenophobic behavior behavior uh, gatekeeping or any form of hate speech or negative behavior will ever be tolerated. These actions will be met with a swift and very much irrevocable removal from the table without warning or hesitation. You will like in the in the event that we get guest characters in, um, whether it be as uh, temporary NPC characters or for permanent additions to the table. Those kinds of behavior, uh, behaviors will not be tolerated by any stretch of the imagination and anybody found to be con like conforming to them, get out. Because I have, I have, like I said, I have no qualms that any of you guys will fall into these behaviors. It's the reason why I chose you. You guys will. You guys are all better than that. You all know better than that. But it's one of these things that I feel is a common sense thing, and I I have to vocalize it just as a sort of like, hey, just don't be that guy. So you forgot one in the list. Oh God! You forgot one in the list. Uh, is that gin ginger <laughs> insult? I was about, uh, I was about to say. Like. like like anybody who uses ginger insults against my character and my character is a ginger like immediate expulsion like absolutely just kicked to well, the curb well that's rob getting kicked out on session one then hey, you think so bloody low of me <laughs> no, of you also missed out the fact that any pan will grant rob full fucking immunity no. You forgot that one. No, That's, no, no, yes, no, no, yes, no, 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 this does not mean that you cannot ask how everyone is doing before the session starts. Just be sure to leave any negative energy outside of the, the, the world of Vardor. We don't want 
say say Slade uh, comes home from work and one of his customer, one of his customers or his staff members, heard, like said you know said something that really upset him. Don't let that affect your your mood when it comes to the session. Or maybe one of the people that Rob works with um, decided to attempt to physically assault him one day. Don't let that anger, because let's face it, regardless of who you are, if somebody attempts to physically assault you, anger is one of the things that you're going to feel in your own head. Don't let that anger fuel your mood when it comes to the sessions. It's like, to talk about my work, my work encourages you to leave your real life at the door. And when you step through the door into the workplace, you're there to do a job. You're there to be professional. You're there to be not positive, but just, you know, don't, don't carry your, your negative, your negativity around with you. Uh, so IRL, I have this bad rash and I would like to spread it to the inhabitants of this uh, continent inside of this campaign. That's and not happening, dude. No, like I told you to go to the doctors and get that scene there. Listen, listen, I want to bring my rash problems no. into this campaign. No. Like, <laughs> you're fucking gonorrhea out of here. Oh, that's <laughs> disgusting. Okay, <laughs> moving on. The next point, the next table rule is please ensure that any and all distraction possibilities are taken care of. Nobody wants to be the guy that, you know, is running off to the bathroom in the middle of combat. Or having your mom call you when you're about to engage in world-altering negotiations. Because... Okay, I'm not gonna lie. I do need to address that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I know that one right there. Like <laughs> that. That just that sentence alone. Like I've got to address that now. All right. Like, I not know, even I know, joking. I not know, even joking. I know it's. I know it's one of these things that's easier said than done. But yeah, like it's... if you can if you can take the simplest steps like turning your phone on to silent or vibrate so that you don't hear fucking uh I've baby, got baby my go phone on silent <laughs> right now and my mother has called me five times just on this session alone. Oh my god. So I'm 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 giving you fair warning now. Number five is kind of like for me at least just a non-existing sentence or phrase into this entire table rules just because one i've got two kids that stay with me four days of the week and if my mother calls me while these kids are here i have to answer the phone yeah okay okay and two so, and yeah. just take take steps to you know casually alert us whether it be dropping a uh a message in the discord or dming me and we can either i was fixing to say if, it, if it comes to it i'll do that that kind of stuff of like dropping a message saying hey i do have to step away for a minute because of this said reason but it's one of those things that me being in the situation that i'm at right now that that right there is the only thing that I'm against just okay. because of my situation. Okay, and but, like, like I said, these things are not make or break. It's like it's not a case of if you can't conform to every single one of them, then you're you're not in it. I mean, as long as we're taking steps to try and minimize the number of things that could get in the way, that's that's all I ask. 
like my phone is on silent it's uh it's you know it's out of arm's reach um obviously unicorn your phone is i'm assuming it's not on silent right now but that's not a problem obviously we have no we, i think we, i might have put it on silent earlier we have, we've got we've got two cats that roam around the the house and obviously you know depending on what they do the their their presence is picked up on unicorn's mic that's not something that we can we can you know get around you know that's like there are obviously certain things that are out with our control but that's completely fine but obviously anything that is within your control to to minimize as a distraction just try and try and take steps to to minimize those things right. um the last rule and it really should go without saying is fucking have fun vardor is completely new to you guys it's an undiscovered world that you have an literally endless list of possibilities to take advantage of just tap into your creativity and just i, I can already assume that rob's gonna do this just revel in the chaos because i'm not gonna I lie do that. i i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i've created several npcs that are gonna give you so many opportunities to fuck shit up and it's just like i really really hope that you get as many of them as possible or you you take advantage of them as many as possible so we've technically come to the final parts of the session there are a couple of there's 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 one major question that before i vocalize what that question is uh obviously this is a question that you guys can choose to answer here in the session or we can discuss it privately in a conversation um but after this question i am completely opening up uh the space to you guys to ask me any questions i do have some questions for you guys as well um but the the final official question for this campaign is as players is romance an option for your character if so let me know and again this is where the this is where the if you're comfortable section of this question comes into it what orientation of romance is preferred so that no offense may be caused later in the campaign the reason i'm asking this is because i don't want to go ahead and establish romantic links for you know or possible romantic links for your your characters only for me to find out that maybe one of your characters isn't straight or maybe one of your characters is asexual and is offended by the fact that somebody is hitting on them maybe you're just completely void of the possibility of romance and you you come to me after the session and going i'm not really happy with this could you please stop so it's like it's just me you know trying to find out so that i don't fuck things up and cause any offense in the in the sessions later down the line i want to let them answer first because mine's mine's a very complex answer well we'll start with we'll start with rob for your character is romance an option again you can choose to answer this in the session or you can we can talk about it privately it's up to you and he's gone 
Where the hell did he go? I don't know, but bye. Uh Okay. It's well, sh it shows that he's still on his phone. Yeah, so. yeah, it shows that he's still on Discord, so we'll we'll give him a minute. We'll move on to Unicorn, is this something that you would like to answer in the session or would you like to talk about it out of session? Um I can answer part of that question now. Okay, if you're comfortable doing so, then fire it away. Uh romance could be a part of my character development. I'm not against it okay so you know whatever happens happens sort of thing okay so we'll we'll end it there because i think that that's where you're drawing the line we'll talk about the rest of it out of session um rob since you're back in the recording uh i don't know whether you heard the question being posed to you or not if not do you uh, or do you need me to re repeat it for you please repeat okay so the question is and um, you can answer as much of this as you're comfortable to in session, or we can talk about it out of session if you want to. Is romance an option for your character? And if it is, what orientation, like what style of romance or romantic partner uh, does your character feel would be a better suit for them? Without going into details, too much about my character they don't really trust anyone so when it comes to romance they they're always just kind of shunning it away or ignoring it fair enough they've had the old kind of night where something happens but they're just they don't really trust anyone in that kind of front okay that's that's completely fine and slade you said that your answer was a little bit more complex again you have the option to discuss it in yeah, session or yeah, we can discuss so, we can discuss it out of the session it's completely I'm going to I'm going to discuss it here because I feel like that it does need to be brought up to some aspect in that it, very similar to Rob's character I don't trust uh people in general and it's more the lines I don't trust men specifically um, because of my background as to what happened to me. Okay. But my character's background started in that I, before I met my Patreon, I was kind of like the the nerdy, uh, very, what's the word I'm looking for? Overexcited type, where that everything was a new experience for me everything was like awesome but then after the events of my background my entire personality changed and i became more dark more less trusting of people in general and mostly towards the male aspects of things okay. and I if I were to get into the romance option it would have to be that I was straight and that it would be something that I would have to have somebody that I could romance with that I could grow to trust because it would be at the at the very start I would not trust them at all okay until they prove that they're worthy of being trusted okay so you're you're saying that any potential romantic partners have to prove that they can be trusted before you even begin to embark down that road yeah and i would i would 
very much prefer, at least for this character, that the character be female. Yep, okay, that is entirely fine. That is not a problem at all. And again, for all of you guys, I thank you for feeling comfortable enough to talk about it on session. Um, that will be that'll all be taken into consideration, and uh, we will see what the campaign has installed for for that sort of regard. Now, I I did mention I had um questions for you guys, so because of how long we've been going, I'll limit it to one. Uh, any of the other questions that I've got, we can talk about out of session. Um, but this one's kind of like an open-ended question for you guys. What are you expecting from this campaign and from myself? Like, what are your expectations going into this? Maps. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've given you, I've given such you. Such maps, such wow. Oh yeah, such maps, such wow. But seriously, like, is there any sort of expectations that you've got or any aspirations that you've got is there anything is there any character aspirations that you've got in mind okay in all seriousness i'm i'm gonna say this in regards to what i i've read over on this and this is coming from somebody again that has had over 20 years of experience in DD in general and to see how far you've grown playing DD from my own campaign i'm going to say this outright i am very proud of you oh because the the very details of what i am reading here as far as how much you've put into this has made me very proud of you and i i very much like the concept that you've come up here and i am excited to see how it goes from here on out um you're gonna but, make, you're gonna make me blush tony but i am going to give you fair warning now i am the type of dnd player that takes every single detail to heart yeah so yeah, if you yeah, yeah, if yeah, you I, as yeah, a dm screw up uh -huh. if you as a dm screw up I am going to take that to my own advantages. I know. I know. You're very particular when it comes to wording. I, uh, I've used that against you in the past. You have indeed. <laughs> and and uh, that's, that's just one I'm example. I'm going to deliver the exact same concept here. Yep. I know. Is that oh, I if, know. If, you, if you really want to go through with this, and as, as detailed as you've made this out to be of what I've read so far, I expect a lot from you now. I, ex oh, yeah. I, I expect you to give it 100% of your effort. So do, do not by any means come to me and DM me saying that you don't think that it's going to work out because I'm flat out going to tell you right now, you're going to see this through all the way to the end. If I have to come and drag my ass over there to your location and make fucking sure that you finish it out. Mate, okay, cause... so, yeah, I mean, you don't have to worry about that, because I've already said to each and every single fucking one of you that I have, I, I every single chapter of this campaign, and for the for you guys and the listeners at home, there's six chapters. Um, Every single chapter of this campaign has something that I am immensely looking forward to 
uh bringing you guys into however chapter five is my baby like i i i have worked so hard on chapter five already that there is no room for abandoning the campaign because i feel like it's not working like that's not even a fucking option at this point because i will see this campaign through even if it kills me and i'm pretty sure it will but (laughs) i am going to bring you guys from chapter one episode one to chapter six the fucking finale and i'm gonna make damn sure that you guys enjoy every single step of the way there's gonna be drama there's gonna be comedy there's gonna be the odd session where when we conclude i sit down and i go are you guys okay because i plan on dropping some heavy ass shit when we like the further we get into the the campaign because content warning and trigger warning i ain't gonna hold back with regards to some of the stuff that's later down the lines in this campaign okay you guys will have gone through enough of the campaign to where when we get to that point i trust that you guys can handle anything that i throw at you you guys will already like from the beginning you guys will encounter decisions that will have either minuscule or wide-reaching consequences but like i said every now and again there will be a session where i drop something on you and at the end of the session i turn around and say to you are you guys okay that would be me checking in with you and making sure that you guys aren't walking away from the session or away from the table in floods of tears um but yeah anything else like rob have you got any any kind of expectations for this campaign well from the minute you started talking about this campaign like the way he starts you started doing the chapters later on and stuff i started like oh fuck oh fuck so and for basically reading the fucking document you sent us it sounds so fucking amazing dude like i seriously cannot wait to start playing i cannot wait to see what you've got in store for us and no pun intended but pun intended at the same time i'm expecting sheer fucking mayhem from you oh yeah honestly mate uh, there's there's no room for error in this uh in this campaign like i'm expecting you meet your i'm i'm, I'm expecting the what introduction you got planned for us that you try and kill us straight away that's what i'm expecting from you that uh, honestly at level one and two <laughs> that is extremely possible that is, yeah it is extremely possible to but be. Him, so a, fucking fr- a fucking frog could kill your ass yeah okay <laughs> Unicorn. Hey, leave my brother out of this. Unicorn, have you got any expectations or aspirations for this campaign? Well, I expect you to live long enough to pay the mortgage. Wow, okay. Okay. In In other words, in other words, this campaign is not allowed to kill me. Yes. Um... However, I can safely say, Unicorn, that if I were to die during this campaign, given what we pay for the mortgage, we'd be fine for a while. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. 
your will, boy. I am going to end this session by giving you guys something. And this is something. I was expecting more questions, but damn, okay. Oh, I like gifts. I am going to give you something oh. that comes with a very heavy request. Oh, no. Before, uh, uh -oh. before I give you this, I will set out the expectation and the request to you guys. And that is that you guys, from episode one, all the way up to the finale every single one of you keeps a track of all of your killing blows okay you keep a track of all how right. many enemies individually you have defeated okay i want to i want to ask you a question in regards to that statement and this is, has to do with the destiny campaign we did uh -huh. Are you doing this because of the thing that I did? No, 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 no. This is because uh, I kept up with all of my kills, and it I know still did. didn't work out the I way know, I wanted I know, it to. I, I know you did, and uh, I was very proud of you for doing that. However, I am doing this. I am requesting this of you for the uh, for one reason, and it I I'll, I can safely say it pertains to the final episode of the campaign. So, that is my request. Now for the gift. If you guys have access to your character sheet, Rob, I can understand if you don't have access to your character sheet, if you want me to do this for you. I've got I, mine open right you've got, now. You've got it open. Okay. Under your abilities. Well, I have the file you sent me. Under your abilities. <laughs> I have the file. Yeah. Under the abilities <laughs> section... Or if, or, or if Slade tells me that it actually belongs uh, somewhere else. Uh, I would like you guys to note down that you have an ability called the Feather and the Scale. Okay, so depending on the ability, it probably under features and traits. Okay. So I, I would, I'm going to wait to see what you say. So, for my players and the listeners at home, this is my first piece of homebrewed content for them. The Feather and the Scale. Upon landing a killing blow to an enemy, the player must roll a d4. On a 1 and a 3, the enemy turns into a chibi-sized duck. <laughs> There's more. On a hold on. Oh god. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. This is a <sighs> this is a duck that okay. you can hold in the palm of your hand. Uh, okay. I'll pretty much know when to continue when Unicorn stops typing. <laughs> I do love the sound of her keyboard though. It's like ASMR for me. Uh-huh. I'm not gonna lie. Sit here, my work one. Oh, her work one's better, actually. Why don't you? Why don't you use that? I could actually. You could, yeah. Uh, okay. So, can I go on to the next part? Yeah, I've stopped. Okay, so that's a one and a three. On a two and a four, the enemy turns into a two-foot-tall dragon. Oh. How big? 
two foot, two foot tall dragon. Two so it's like it's like up to your shins, basically. It's like it's like a fucking uh, uh what are they called? Um, it's not an iguana. It's the the one that's bigger than that. A komodo. Komodo, yeah, it's yeah. a komodo dragon. Okay. The feather in the scale after rolling and you determine what your enemy turns into. The creature that it turns into is not immediately hostile towards you. You have the decision that you can either kill it or you can let it live and let it roam free. But you guys cannot get rid of this feature or trait or ability or whatever you cla it's classified as. That is ingrained on all of your characters. So hold, hold, hold the fucking phone. <laughs> hold the fucking phone. Okay. Oh, so let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. If I go and kill some random human NPC, instead of just dying, they have the potential to turn into a duck or a Komodo dragon. No, no, no. It's not a Komodo dragon. It is an actual dragon, but it's only two foot tall. It's not like it's, but, it's not uh, a Komodo dragon at all. Komodo dragons are not dragons as as are, uh, are normal. Like, I have so many fucking questions now. Cause like <laughs> basically your guy you guys are going to be polymorphing every single enemy that you but come what, across. Like, are they still the same person? Because like why are there gods if you're just turning them into ducks or dragons? <laughs> I am an agent like, of the chaos. The of the Matrix, guys. I am an agent like, of chaos. Is there Tony. no heaven or hell? Like, <laughs> welcome to Vardor. My head hurts. Welcome to Vardor, motherfuckers. My head hurts. I no, seriously. I, I, I. This was the first homebrew piece of content I came up with for this campaign, and as oh soon as God. soon. As I came up with it, I knew for a fucking fact that it was going to cause so much trouble. And I am reveling in that trouble as well. I just so many fucking questions. Like, like, Rob, imagine if you will, that fucking dual wielding guy, the, the fucking council guy going into like a war and killing thousands upon thousands of fucking humans. No, 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 Okay, so it's just a matter of that only us as our players can do. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay, that makes more sense. Uh -huh. Because, like, I was under the assumption when you said that, that everybody had that ability. No. And I'm sitting here thinking, if this giant motherfucker goes out with two dual-willing great axes and then is all badass and shit, kills a thousand people in one fucking swoop, and they all instantly turn into ducks... My respect for this guy just dropped. <laughs> no, okay. no, no. You guys are the only people that have this ability. Um, okay, so that's going to go under features and traits. Okay, so feather. The feather and, and the scale. Scale. There are, okay. there are individuals I'm who... I'm interested to... On you go, Rob. 
Oh, I, I, when you go, I interrupted. Oh, okay. When you kill a... When you land a killing blow, roll a d4. When you land a killing blow, okay. Okay, there are individuals out there in the plains of Vardor that will have equally ridiculous abilities or features or traits. Uh, but you guys will have to come and, uh, come and f seek them out or stumble across them. And, uh, yeah, whether or not they are friend or foe toward you, you'll have to find out. Because, uh, I am so looking forward to this. I'm not gonna lie, this absolutely sounds fucking hilarious, and I can't believe that you came up with that yeah. as a homebrew ability for this, nice. just because of the name of the D&D podcast. Yep. But I, uh, it breaks so many fucking questions. Yep, I know it does. <laughs> it's one of these things where I created it, so it's fine. <laughs> Alright, one or three will turn the target struck by the killing blow into a duck. Yep. Duck. But a two or a four will turn them into a two-foot dragon. And, the uh, duck and dragon will not appear hostile unless provoked. Yep, exactly. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what you guys have got to uh, to look forward to. I Duckies will... and Dargan's ability. I will... Please tell us the origin story about how you're giving us these abilities. Uh, no. I'm just going to give you these abilities uh, and just, uh, just have it as... The god that reigns above the golden dude is yeah. a duck. <laughs> uh, whack whack motherfuckers quack whack motherfuckers <laughs> okay alright so, I'm saving that to the desktop okay, like I said that's, that's us uh, that's us at the end of the session I would like to say thank you to everybody uh, for checking this episode out like I said this episode won't be uploaded until the week beginning uh, Monday the 2nd of July uh, 2nd of August um, like I said, that's because we're stockpiling content before we, we start the upload process. Uh, but thank you very much guys for listening to this. I hope that you've enjoyed this deep dive into the world of Vardor. My players are going to be thrown headfirst, uh, into the, the chaotic, uh, shitstorm that I have created for them. Um, and I'm, I'm very, very, very excited to see how they how they adapt to the world and how they go about their their mission because they do have a mission to embark on and uh yeah it's gonna be interesting and thank you once again to my players for attending session zero you guys are absolutely incredible um hopefully this has sparked some sort of inspiration for things that you want to do uh, I will upload the four continent maps into Discord following this session, uh, and I look very much forward to starting the campaign officially in two weeks' time. So, from myself as the DM, and from my players, I would like to thank everybody for the tremendous support that this campaign has already received. At the time of this recording, we are at 216 followers on Twitter, 
which we gained close to 30 in one singular day, which completely blew my beholder balling mind because that was not even predicted on my end. So thank you once again, guys. And I, uh, I guess we'll see you guys in two weeks time for session one. Anything that you guys want to say before we wrap up? Okay. So one thing, when are we going to introduce our characters? That'll be session one. So session one is us talking about our characters. Session one, uh, you guys will be put into a scenario where you, an introduction to your characters is necessary. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So the original plan of us doing our backstories first is done away with, basically. Mm, okay, so the reason I got you guys to do your backstories <clears throat> ahead of schedule was so that I could implement your backstories into the campaign and write uh, dedicated arcs for you guys. Okay, because um, I, I was thinking that you were going under what you had originally planned was that after session zero, each of us would get the solo episodes to relay that backstory in an episode. And then after that, it would be that um, we would go into the main campaign and then we would get the story arcs. No, 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 no. Uh, you guys will have many, many, many opportunities to reveal as much of your backstories as you'd like as you progress through the campaign but each and every each of you will be given a a dedicated uh arc at some point throughout the campaign dedicated <laughs> to your backstory where we explore particular elements of it and we we give you guys the the limelight we give you we give you guys the spotlight for a little while to say, uh, gotcha. to, to, put, uh, to put a label on it so, okay. like I said, anything that you guys want to say before we wrap up? I'm looking forward to session one. Yep. Okay. So fucking hyped. <laughs> oh, trust me, man, you don't know the half of it. So, once again, for the final time tonight, thank you to everybody for listening. My name's been The Mayhem Vote, and uh, we will see you all when we officially kick off our campaign. Good night, guys. <laughs>